Welcome to the 10th episode of the 180C podcast. This is the final episode of season one, so thank you for tuning in for the journey along the way. If you don't know who 180Degrees Consulting is, we are the world's largest student-run consultancy for nonprofits and social enterprises. And this episode is brought to you by the 180Degrees Consulting branch from the University of Melbourne. As per usual, always feel free to have a listen to our prologue for a better understanding of what this podcast aims to achieve or visit our socials. There are timestamps below for better browsing access to areas in the episode you wish to navigate to, as well as the socials for this week's guests, so you can check out their profile whilst listening. Keen for the final episode this season, so strap in and let's get into this week's episode. So, welcome to the last episode for the first season of the 1ADC podcast. It's crazy knowing as this year comes to an end that my succession for this role comes creeping up slowly, but I'm thrilled for this week's episode because we're having another former 1ADC member back onto the podcast to talk about probably one of the most requested topics for a podcast with a student demographic, which is internships. And what better way to tackle the discussion around internships than to bring back one of the most certified completionists of internships, vacation programs, and clerkships that I know of. You name a domain, he's most likely covered it. He is a former 1ADC president. It is required that I get to call him a friend. He is Callan Baxter. Welcome to the podcast, Callan, and most likely the last time I get to say this, but welcome back to 1ADC. Thank you very much, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I feel very grateful to have the honour for last one of the year. So, you know, I'll take that with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, of course. And I made those acknowledgements to really give context to someone who hasn't heard of your background before and hasn't seen how much you've achieved. For those who haven't clicked on Callan's LinkedIn profile, which will be in the links below, the number is a lot. Uh, what I mean by that is a lot of internships at big banks, big for professional services, consulting, law firms. It's like from an outside perspective that you went on to do a Jewish doctor just to do more internships. But I'll say that adoration, so I still have some left when we do do our calls in the future again. But I'm totally getting off track. So to really pivot back onto track, Callan, very much appreciate the introduction on your end. So our listeners can learn a little more about the you that I know, and of course, more about your background. Yeah, of course. So from a very base in terms of study, uh, I originally completed a Bachelor of Commerce at Unimelb. They went on to do my JD. And then after that, have just completed my Masters of Law and Finance. Mm-hmm. In terms of 180, I joined as a team leader in 2018 now, I think it was, did that for a year, was then the president of the Unimelb branch, and then went on to be part of the GLT. Each of those for sort of roughly a year, give or take a little bit more. In terms of work experience, as Kevin sort of said, I've done a number of internships across different areas from sort of accounting big four uh, to working in some of that consumer banks, as well as clerkships. So legal internships and also consulting based uh, internships. So I have had sort of the spectrum, both in terms of study and in terms of internships. So I'm hopefully someone who can provide at least a little bit of insight across the board. And I don't know, we'll see where we go. Yeah, I'm very much appreciating the time to come on today, Callan. And of course, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I think it's very much a wonderful journey that has really unfolded over the course of what, like the last six and a half years that you've been <laughs> studying from your BCom to your JD. And then you went on to do your master's as well, where you told yourself you're at that point where you still didn't have enough answers in that sense, that you wanted to go crack one of the world's most reputable universities itself. And so I think first things first, I just really wanted to ask you, after having finally come to the end of the studying journey itself, uh, how does it finally feel to get, right? Really, the mentality that you have that 
no studying of whites. You rather you <laughs> nice break ahead of you where before the big learning journey actually begins in the professional world. Yeah, it's an interesting one because study has become so part of my life. So it's been seven years all up, sort of three and a half of the Bachelor of Commerce, two and a half for the JD, and then a year for the Masters. So you certainly get into that space where you become familiar with that routine. And then to have woken up like basically one day, just the middle of July and being like, oh, this is, this is all over now. There, there is no more, at least for the foreseeable future, is an odd position to be in. But it's been quite a nice position to sort of reflect on and to think back across the years that's been and then to the years that come, you know, once I start, once I start my actual job and I become a proper adult in that sense, it'll be a nice change of pace. But you do reach a point where you're looking for sort of the new challenge and you're looking to test yourself in a new way. So it's exciting, but I can't say I'm too disappointed having a little bit of time between then and now. It's always nice to have a bit of time off, as you say, to, to essentially do not a huge amount of anything, but in the most sort of constructive way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically a lot of nothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. I think the day that you told me that uh, corporate consulting was where you had decided to settle after all these doors that you've opened, walked through and closed over the years. And to say one of those doors was 180 degrees consulting itself is quite cool because you recently closed that door this year as well. Like you mentioned at the start, having gone on to work with the global leadership team, uh, for some context to our listeners, the global leadership team is the global team that 180DC has since 180 Degrees Consulting does operate on a worldwide basis that manages uh, operations, logistics, the revenue streams, you name it. And so even after your presidency term in 2019, uh, you went on to work for the QLT. I think what I wanted to derive from this was that I don't think I've ever had the chance to ask you this, even off camera, but why did you join 180 in the first place, Caleb? And why stay on for so long? Because I think it's easy for me to say that a lot of different consulting companies you've entered that could have offered you the similar learning points that you garnered from uh, being part of 180DC, as well as like understanding of things like different consulting frameworks. What was so appealing about 180 that you said to yourself, uh, I wanted to stick around here for a little while after my presidency term and just learn a little bit more? Yeah, so there's largely different answers for why I joined and why I stayed on, but there is one consistent thread and that is perhaps the largest thread that runs across both of those answers and why I initially joined and why I stayed on for so long is because it is an unparalleled opportunity to really be able to give back and engage in the community. When I was looking at my options, so I joined 180 when I started my JD, Um, I'd gone to the Bachelor of Commerce and really enjoyed it, but I'd gone to a stage where I then wanted to try and do something of impact and 180 degrees stood out to me as the best place that I could possibly enter that was going to allow me to have a connection with people who are just doing incredible work. So being able to have this quite large part of my life as I was studying, being connecting to, helping, discussing, supporting, essentially like who I consider to be like heroes of the community was fantastic. So I still remember the first projects when I was joining 180 and you were working with these clients and you'd have those initial scoping meetings, you'd sit down with them and you're discussing the work that they're doing. Sorry, I'm being sort of vague, but um, as you talk to more and more consultants, you realize that they always speak in roundabout terms whenever you're speaking about clients. But, you know, they were discussing the people they're, they're working with and the kinds of stories that those people have and 
to have the privilege to be able to work with these people who are then working with the community. It's, it's unparalleled in terms of feeling like you're doing something for the better while in a space that's still allowing sort of a diverse range of experiences and you're working across different clients and you're in that sort of firm culture setting where everyone's supporting each other and working together. It was just a place I knew that I really want to be a part of and why I stayed on for so long through the different roles because no matter what sort of function of 180 you are, you always still have this connection to the positive work and the positive impact that 180 is having throughout. Um, but then to break it down a little bit further, there are different reasons to why you join initially and to why you stay on. You know, some of the other reasons I joined initially was that I was looking for a community of people outside the place that I was studying. So I was in a, a law space, but I still wanted to have a connection with the more business world. And so that was a fantastic way of meeting people who were sort of interested in that area as well. And it was a community of people that I knew were passionate about social impact and kind of the kinds of people I wanted to be around. And then reasons to stay on is that you kind of get the bug. Um, if you talk to anyone who has been in 180, the story is always that they have been there for far longer than they probably would have initially thought. Like when I joined 180, I was like, oh, you know, it'd be great to do for a year or two. You know, I'll join as a team leader or join maybe as a consultant. Maybe I'll join the exec. And then, yeah, you're talking to me here now. And I was like, yeah, I've done the team leader. And then I was the press of the branch. And then I joined the GLT. And I don't think I would have ever been there. But it's because it is just such a fun place to be a part of. It, as with many things, it's the people who make it. And the people of 180 have always been incredible. Mm -hmm. But overwhelmingly, it is the more you get into it and the more you're working with the clients and they're just truly fantastic people, um, you just don't want to give it up, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think when we had the chance to have Fran on the current president and also Jeff, who was uh, Fran's uh, predecessor and your successor itself has had this, said the same thing in the sense that you guys have stayed on too long for your cause. <laughs> yeah, experiences wise though, I think it's in regards to your somewhat recognizable resume that you've built up over the years. Many of those who know about applying for things like reputable companies in the US, uh, uh, how we spoke with Esther last on the podcast, we're talking about hustle culture and the grind life in the US, or even here in Australia, know that they will cut you off if you have more than one page as a resume. But I think recruiters would make an exception for Callan just because he has to have two pages worth of experiences on his resume, given how much he has done in sense. But these pit stops you made along the way, I won't name them all, but I'll drop a couple of names here like Deloitte, Carney, Kingwood Mallisons. Herbert Smith Free Heels, some very big and reputable companies. And so the plain out question is, uh, why so many? I think, honestly, you could have stopped after two or three experiences and still have a really solid resume to be applying for big companies. But uh, why try out so many professional internships and clerkships, Cullen? So I'll start by saying that uh, I still have a one-pager. So um, it, no matter how many things you do, you still end up getting it down to one page at the end of the day. To get to the, the question at the crux of it is there's a few answers that sort of sit behind it. So there are three reasons why the, the list of internships is perhaps so long. So the first of them um, is that the internships went along with the study, essentially. So some of those internships I've done, so you mentioned sort of like the likes of Deloitte and Coles was my first internship in Australia. Those are quite a few years ago now. And so I loved my time at both of those companies and could have happily gone and worked for them 
but the reason that I sort of went on after them is because I still had further study that I was really keen on and engaged in. And so it's sort of no comment on the experiences I had there that I didn't take offers with those firms because they are both fantastic places to be, in my opinion. And then the other reasons is mostly diversity of experience, and that is both in terms of um, people and culture and in terms of the kind of work in itself. So when you talk about internships, the line that gets thrown around a lot is that you need to make sure you're getting out of it as much as you're putting into it. And I wholeheartedly support that statement. And that means making sure that you are checking all of the avenues that you are interested in. So I have my legal internships that I've sort of done and I've also got my business internships. And the reason for having the plethora across that is because I wanted to go through and make sure that the path I was picking was the one that I was going to be able to be the most fulfilled in and get the most out of. So I did all of the legal internships because I was a law student. I really wanted to know what that was going to be like and whether that was going to be the space for me. And they were incredible in that sense. So the legal internships were fantastic. Some of the best people I've worked with around those internships, they were so supportive and they were incredibly insightful. And if anything, they made the decision way more difficult. It's always easy to go into a place and you're like, oh no, this is a tree. I don't particularly like the worker. I don't particularly like the culture or whatever it is. And then you can cross that box off and you're like, cool, decision's been made. It's worse when you get out of a place and you've absolutely loved it. And you're like, oh, now this is really difficult because this is an amazing opportunity. But back to it is sort of the reason for it is that, yeah, it's to experience the different areas, the different sectors, and that's the different sectors within those places. So within the legal profession, it was to understand, okay, what does it work like to work in this area of the law compared to this area, compared to this area, and the same in business, what does it like to work in-house, what does it like to work in advisory, what does it like to work in consulting or strategy or marketing, whatever those may be. The reason of having those sort of broader range of experiences is to basically as open or close as many doors as possible. So the list there is to get back to that whole idea of you need to make sure you're getting out as much as you're putting in. So don't feel like you are limited. It is best in my opinion to really discover what you are truly passionate about. And my way of doing that has been through internships. Well, for now, I feel like a lot of people struggle uh, to answer that question when the recruiters are, oh, why have you done so many different experiences during uni? But like, I think you've outlined a great ass answer I'm gonna use when someone asks me that. I'm going to be completely honest, there are some people out there who solve reason that they go back to school is because they didn't get that full set of experiences that they got from their undergrad, right? Where there'd be the chance to do extracurriculars or join a student society like 180 Degrees Consulting, but maybe perhaps they also didn't get the chance to integrate internships into their studies because of factors like uh, the Melbourne model itself. I remember when we had uh, Naomi Alexander on the podcast for our first episode of the Women in Leadership series, she had mentioned during her final year of uni, uh, she took the gap year off and created an industry-based learning for herself uh, where she got professional work experience because IBLs or uh, WILs aren't offered at Melbourne Uni itself. And so it's really great to connect with you, Carolyn, in that sense that both you and I have had the chance to do both these initiatives and really reflect on it now in the moment. But I think here's the part where a lot of our audience members are interested in, which is your preparation process. How did you prepare for the interview processes for a lot of these internships? Because 
whatever secret recipe you're using, it must be working pretty damn well. Cool to be leading to a lot of offers from so many companies. And so, Caleb, how is it that you prepared? And I think to better pinpoint your learnings along the way and help our listeners at home, what changed from how you prepared for your first internship interview? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because it did change a lot across the years. So to quickly go over what I did at the start, it was always more rushed. You're going in without particularly knowing maybe too much about the company, too much about what I was particularly going into and without really maybe knowing much about myself either. Um, Whereas the later years, the process became both far more regimented in terms of preparation, but also a lot more general and far longer. So when it came to preparing for my last set of interviews, be that internships or grad roles, it would start months and months before they even open. Um, Because the key point to succeeding in any interview is wanting to be there and being able to demonstrate why you want to be there. So if you don't understand why you're looking to join the firm that you're applying for, what is it that you're going to bring? What is it that you're hoping to be able to get out of that whole experience? Then you've sort of already fallen at the first hurdle. So it's no point trying to go into an interview and reel off what you have read on Google about why it's good to work for a place. Mm -hmm. I do fundamentally believe that you actually need to want to work at that place, not just someone has told you it would be a good place to go. So when it came to my final internships, for example, I only applied to places I knew I actually wanted to work at. I didn't apply to anywhere that I didn't have a strong desire to to join, basically. Um, And so that is a process that took months of thinking about what I was really looking to try and achieve and what I wanted to get out of the experience and where I wanted to be. And then after I'd understood where I wanted to be, then I'm getting more into the nitty gritty of the preparation. So the preparation can be largely broken down into two parts. It's understanding the firm and the type of work and it's understanding yourself. So the understanding the firm is often the easiest part or at least the part that has a more clear trajectory of how you get from A to B. So research obviously the roles you're going to be looking into research the type of work that the firm does the kind of people that work there if you're able to just talk or discuss with anyone who's working in that place then fantastic you're all looking to try and build that picture of what it's like to be an employee and to be an intern or to be a grad or whatever it is that you're applying for and so that is a lot of study that you can sort of do in your own time it is googling it is talking to both people who work there and people who might have interned there previously or whatever else that might be And so that's understanding, like I was saying, you know, what's the type of work? What's the firm known for? What's this sort of reputation like? What are you going to be doing? What can you bring to that that matches that? And then that segues into knowing yourself. And that is the far harder part of the preparation, but the part that I think really distinguishes a good interview from a great interview is knowing who you are, because anyone can realistically Google and understand about the firm. And that's quite hard and that is really what I have been working on the most between my first interview to my last interview it's knowing where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are what are unique experiences you've had that make you different or that bring some interest how does your culture or who you are as a person fit to the firm that you're applying for because 
the interview is not just about your skills, it's also about whether the person on the other side of the table thinks that you're going to be a good member of the team. And you won't be for every firm, even if they sort of do the same level of work because there are different cultures, and that's totally all right, but it's a lot easier to know where you're going to fit in if you know where you're going to fit in, if that sort of makes sense. So generally have spent a lot of time just sitting and thinking and reflecting about who I am as a person and how that translates into my CV and then how I convey that. So be that experience I've had, stories I can tell, the kinds of jokes you might tell, whatever that is. But yeah, it's the preparation is now largely focused on who I am and then how do I display that. You know, the thing about, my, about you, Cullen, so much is that you're willing to share the, the hows and the whys behind your preparation process. And I think not many of us like doing that, right? Because I think when you get to uni, you have this mentality that you're always competing against other people. A lot of people don't like sharing like their tips or their advice, but it's really great to see you, Cullen, just be open about like, your preparation process, how it's changed over time and really what's improved and what you're still working on. Because I think it's a daunting time, right, for a lot of students when internships and grad application season rolls around. And since a lot of individuals are applying for their dream companies, so it's just nice to see someone who has a great mentality as you, Callum, to have prepped as hard as you've had done in the past and really conquer all these different interviews, from behavioural interviews to equipment interviews to case studies themselves. Look, I would love to go to the end of days of this conversation really I would especially talking about like job hunting and internships but I think it's at that point in the episode where we kind of look to wrap things up but before I move on to the final reading question for this week were there any outgoing things you wanted to talk about in regards to internships grad applications job hunt or really you know maximizing your uni experiences at all yeah I guess to follow on from what I was talking about before the last point that I'll touch on with that is why I think it's so important to sort of know yourself is when you're in those assessment centers or when you're in those group interviews or whatever it is, the reason it's so important to know yourself in those settings is that so you're trying to not be someone that you're not. You're not trying to put on the facade of being the loudest person in the room. You're just being you. And that makes for both a more authentic experience, which I think will increase your chance of success as people are going to be able to understand that you know, you're being who you actually are. And it makes for a far more enjoyable process. If you're being yourself rather than trying to be somebody else, you'll be able to have fun. And having fun in those settings goes a long way. Obviously, you know, you might still need to push the envelope a little bit. And so a tip that I will often give in those interview settings is be who you are, but at the same time, make sure that you're still putting yourself out there a little bit because a, a job is challenging and it's new and you're going to be pushing yourself when you're in there so in interviews do push yourself a little bit you know if you know that you're quiet and that's something that um, is you know a core part of your personality don't try and change that but maybe just push yourself a little bit you know speak up a little bit more throw out a few ideas because you know in those team-based settings they're still looking for that or Conversely, if you know that you're someone who is quite loud and can be someone who is maybe a little domineering, make sure you're asking other people's opinion. Bring in the quieter members of the group. So the reason it's important to know yourself is so that you can then develop that next step and figure out how to be a team player or how to build on some of your traits that maybe are things that 
they're really strong, but at the same time, you know that you're lacking in those other areas. Um, and then other key tips is that it's a classic one, it's a generic one, it's everywhere, but when you're writing your CVs and cover letters, do make sure they're personalised, and it is not one of those just change the names. I wrote different cover letters and CVs for every place that I applied. The CV stays largely the same, but the cover letter I would write from scratch for every single firm. Um, and I think that is really important, and I would put that down to a lot of the reason that I got interviewed at certain places, um, is because you're putting in that personal effort, and it's also a great opportunity to then really reflect on where the places you're applying and the kinds of places that you want to be going for. And then finally, it is to not be disheartened. And I know that um, might sound counterintuitive when we're just talking about successes, but with success also comes a great deal of rejection. And nobody goes through the internship or the grad process without being rejected. And it can be incredibly difficult to put it behind you. Um, but it is important to, as best you can, take away as much from rejection as possible, but don't let it defeat you, because we will all be rejected. I know I've been rejected many, many times, um, and you can't let that influence the next interview or the next application, um, because it will start to take a toll on your application process. Yeah. It will, especially if you take those failures too deeply or you come too deeply invested mm. in the application process and so your mentality goes into a dark spot. But I, I know you mentioned cover letters. I feel like uh, we both have a folder full of cover letters that we've used because we've shipped out so many throughout the years themselves. Yeah, uh, so anyone who's applied for a lot of companies or uh, has been in that process or mentality of spam applying before, you'll probably be in the same state as myself and Callan who have a folder <laughs> full of cover letters just tailored to a specific positions or specific companies. Yeah, but as per tradition, with every episode we've done so far, uh, I wanted to conclude this one the same as I've done with all the previous episodes for the season with an outgoing question that is less about the job and of course more about personal experiences and takes on a specific topic. And so, Callan, you may be a gunner interviewing now, but I assume that we've all had our fair share of humble beginnings like you've just mentioned, that like we've failed many a times before. And so for this week's question, so you've gone through a plethora of interviews during your job hunting career. What is the worst interview fumble you've ever had? Because the level you are at right now, it's fair for me to assume that you're full of interviewing but that's in 2021. And so walking down memory lane, can you recall any stories of bad interview moments that you would like to share with our listeners at home? That's a good question. As soon as you said that, I just had this flashback because I've got one particular story that um, for a lot of people who know me will have probably heard it before, but I without doubt had the worst interview of my life. Probably it must've been four years ago now. Um, and the story is a little hazy because of how bad the interview went um, that I can't even really remember all of it in detail so the story slightly changes every time so forgive me but as far as best as I can remember um, it was the first question so you know everything has been good so far had all of the the pleasantries the welcome you know it was it was great 
sat down and the interviewer looked at me and essentially they said, okay, the job is tough. The hours are long. They're not always fun. You don't get the recognition you deserve. You're not always going to like it. You might even hate it sometimes. It's not always a pleasant place to be and people don't always want to be here. Why would you want to work in a place like this? And I just sat there and I had absolutely nothing. I was there in the headlights, stunned fish, whatever you want to say. I, I have no idea what I looked like, but I imagine I'd look like a, just a ghost. I would have just gone totally pale and I'm, I'm totally black. I had nothing because I had no idea how to respond to a question like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't even really remember how I responded. I, I probably said something along the lines of, oh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it'll be fine. Uh, it'll be good. <laughs> You know, it just sort of like waffled through an answer that had absolutely no meaning behind it. And it tanked the rest of the interview. It, it, was, it just absolutely broke me. Um, I had no, no way to recover. I don't know. They, they, the interview was very gracious at the end of it. Um, but at least my recollection is that it was yeah, a far worse interview to say than they would have let me believe. But it gave me an incredible amount of learning. So it... It didn't haunt me for a while after that, but it certainly threw me off my game, not just for that, but for future interviews, which is why I said before, it's really important to to move on and not let it get to you because at the end of the day, it's not personal, um, but it can feel like that. And it certainly felt like that for me, um, that, you know, I had this really tough question that had sort of been targeted to me and it was so different to any other question that I'd ever had in an interview. Um, so I have a number of takeaways, but I'm going to break it into three takeaways. So the first of those parts is to not let a bad question become a bad interview. The second of those parts is to know yourself and to know the job, but don't prepare necessarily just for the interview. And the third of those is to go in with confidence and to not be scared and don't worry too much about the pressure that's in front of you. So the first thing I say is to not let a bad question become a bad interview is that, yeah, it was a a really hard question and it broke me and I let that then go through the rest of the whole interview. So the whole rest of the interview, all I could think about was how I could have answered that question better. You know, I was like, ah, I should have said this. I should have done that. I shouldn't have done this. And it threw off all the other questions because I was only ever giving maybe 60% of my brain to the question I was then actually answering. And the rest of it was just hung up on a bad question. And it can take practice, but do practice it. You know, if you're practicing interviewing with friends, which is something I always recommend doing, or with your parents, or even just in the mirror, as I know a few people that's really helped, every now and then ask them to just throw in a question that's completely off the wall, that doesn't relate to anything to try and throw you. And if you handle it great, then fantastic. But if you don't handle it well, then practice the process of recognizing it was a bad question, but then moving on. And don't worry about it because one bad question is better than a whole bad interview because you've let something get to you. The second part, is to not prepare necessarily for the interview. And I know that sounds really strange, but 
that was the type of question that you can't find on Google. You know, when you're typing in 50 most common interview questions or whatever it is, I can't imagine that's going to be one that pops up. Um, and it was a real turning point for me to understand that you can go in with canned answers for questions, but canned answers only work if they ask the exact question that you want them to ask. If there is even a small deviation, you're having to think on your feet. So why not think on your feet from the start? So if you're going in, and like we are talking about before, you've got an idea of what the firm is like, and you know what that is going to you know, entail for you, and you know who you are as a person, you can answer questions like that without issue. Because the way I would now go about answering that question, so the way I'd go about answering the question is, you know, essentially, this job is terrible, why would you want to do it, is exactly the same as how I would go about answering a question. The most common interview question in the world is, why do you want to work here? Because of the crux of it, they're the same question. It may not seem like it on the face, but they're looking to understand, well, why is it, do you actually want to work in a place like this? You know, saying a job is really bad. The way I'd go about answering that now is saying, okay, you know, there are going to be aspects of the job that may not be fantastic. You know, you might get underappreciated in certain circumstances. The hours might be long on certain projects, but that doesn't change why I'm interested in this place. You know, I'm coming to work at this firm because of the learning opportunities I'm going to be able to provide, because of the fantastic culture that this, you know, this team, that this firm is known for, um, because it's the kind of work that really appeals to me because of these past experiences. And I'd even probably push back slightly now because I know the interview didn't believe that. They'd been at the firm for 20, 30 years. If they really thought it was a terrible job, they would have left by now. And it is, as I say, exactly how I would answer the why do you want to work here question. But it's just a difference in framing. Um, and because I went in probably having only prepared for the interview without really having prepared for myself and prepared for the firm, it's why it drew me so much. And then finally, the idea of going in with confidence is that you have to believe in yourself um, because no one else has to believe in you. Um, I think... I went into that interview looking for affirmation. Um, and I don't know whether it's true, but I feel like I probably went in there looking for someone to tell me that I was excellent, that you know I interviewed really well, that my experiences were fantastic for anything like that. And that can be quite dangerous going into interviews, looking to come out of them, having had someone basically tell you that you've done fantastically. But I went into my final interviews because I wanted to be there. I was interviewing because I wanted to challenge myself, because I wanted to talk to the people you're interviewing with. Often, as a junior or someone who is looking for an internship, these opportunities to talk to incredibly senior people who have had really rich, interesting lives, not just professionally, but also personally. And I went into those final interviews wanting to talk to them, not wanting to have the pat on the back at the end of it. So those were the, sort of the three big things. I've got many other things I took away from those, that experience that I could go on for ages with. But that is what I think back on that now, is that while, yeah, it was a terrible interview, and I you know, had the classic like interview nightmare scenario out of it, but it was one of the best experiences I had in terms of just reshaping how I approached interviews as a whole.
and into the whole internship process. It, it really did change it from trying to, you know, go in there and necessarily just talk about how great I was to then going into the application process as an opportunity to find out more about others. I feel so many people can relate to this situation where the room it just turns up negative 10 degrees, uh, right? And then we all freeze up <laughs> in a sense. But basically, uh, most of the time we freeze up because of the hard questions, right? I think it's basically a tactic I say the hiring manager uses to really uh, differentiate the great from the best. And so as predicted, this was amazing to do with you, Cullen. And of course, thank you again for coming on, including our final episode of the first ever season of the 180 podcast. And also just for your presence and support as a friend in general, I honestly say I really hope to see you smash it when you start your time next year in consulting. But for now, enjoy the ride, enjoy the break itself, and I hope to touch base with you again sometime soon when I step off one ABC. Definitely, Kevin. Thank you very much, Kevin. This has been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, we'll chat again very soon. But yeah, thank you very much for having me and best of luck to everyone who is listening to this.